Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. This is going to be fun. This is one of those rare episodes that Cage is prepared for. So he has some questions he said that's going to make excellent content. So yes. I don't know if that builds a suspense for you guys. It certainly does for me. Because I can just start we, right off with one. What if we, we, CAT really meant dog? It's just so, a question that I have. I ponder. From, you know, like, like it's just one of those like odd things in the universe, right? Like what if, what if CAT really meant dog? See, I prepared for this. Um, so, so Anthony doesn't know uh, my co-host. He doesn't know how he rolls. I, I take it he hasn't watched uh, our content, which makes sense. So, <laughs> I'll kick it off here. Uh, you guys know this man. Summertime cards, one of the best collections in the game, but also someone that's a thought leader in uh, progressive kind of things that are going on: NFTs, cryptocurrencies, and such. Guys, you know, this is our show. This is called Crypto Casuals. So it, it's a very light, very casual show where we talk about things that are going on in the sports card and memorabilia space, but also in NFTs and crypto and how those overlap. Anthony, that's my co-host. He's an interesting guy. He's one of the best in the game. And he was just having a laugh. Um, so I want to welcome no. you to the show. I got a million yeah. questions like that. I know. So, so I'm excited about this. And here's why. You ready? Summertime cards. Because you're summertime cards. Your summertime cards, and we are in a weird space. We're in a weird space in, in the hobby right now, and I want to talk about your cards. you got a sick collection. Anybody who hasn't checked out summertime cards page, go check out the page. Some really awesome cards. Like I'm going to try to buy three or four of them by the time this episode's done from you, um, put the arm on you, and try to steal a couple of them. But, you know, you've also, you've also gotten into NFTs. Now, you have not gotten away from cards. You haven't changed your name to summertime NFTs. You know, so anybody out there who's thinking, oh, this guy doesn't do cards anymore, you know, he's completely left, he's gone, you name, no, that's not what's happened here, we'll make sure we do that. So, so Andrew's plan is a good one. You know, let's talk about cards for a little while, let's talk about your card journey, and then we can get into the NFTs and kind of how we've gotten there, and, and how you think there's a little bit of overlap between the two, and, and how it's possible for a modern collector, such as yourself, to still do both. And why certain, you know, certain aspects of each one might be the better play that day, that week, or that month. So without further ado, Summertime Cards, let's talk about how you got into the hobby. So thanks for having me on. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm excited for this today. Uh, so card hobby, just as a kid, um, I had an older brother and he was collecting cards. We used to go like to 7-Eleven, they used to sell the packs. And um, I used to see him into it. I was like obsessed with sports as a kid. And uh, I fell into the, the sports card rabbit hole as a kid. Um, it's like all I ever wanted was like a box of cards. That was like it for me, other than going to a game itself. Um, so yeah, as, as a kid collected, used to go to all the card shows, used to go like bowling alleys where there were card shows in the middle of the mall, which now it's all like happening again, which is very interesting. I saw like a card show at a mall the other day. Um, so did that, uh, went to college. I fell back in 2000 and like, six or seven, I think. My friend Gio Gonzalez got drafted to the major leagues. 
Um, and I started to, yeah, I started to, to collect his cards. And then in collecting his cards, I kind of like started to buy like other stuff. Um, I was collecting Isaiah Thomas was a guy I really liked the 60th pick in the draft. I was like, nobody knows this kid. I'm going to buy him. I know he's going to be good. I bought other players as well, like, uh, Brandon Knight, a couple of other guys. Um, and then like every so often, like once a year, I would order a box of prism and that kind of kept me like in the hobby. I used to mess around on blowout a little bit. Um, then throughout this time uh as a profession i was a professional sports better um and i was like basically spent all my time doing that um and a few years ago you know i'd done well with the sports betting and i said okay i want to like there's like a couple of cards i really want to get one of them was the the fleer jordan psa 8. i was like i'm gonna get this card like i've, I've done well I, I can afford to buy it so i went at the time i'm like i wasn't cards really it was 20 it wasn't this past national it was the one before so a few years ago, so cards weren't quite where they are now. So I'm like, it's a lot of money for a sports card, but I really want it. So I bought it. I got a Patrick Mahomes Prism Silver PSA 10 at that national, and um, as well as a uh, Luka Doncic uh, Prism Base PSA 10 for $50, which I ended up selling later down the line. But that got, that like was that national is like after that i i fell in and then i i stayed in the whole time i started buying trey young prison base i graded them i sold them like wow the returns on this grading thing is amazing so i started doing that i would sell stuff with that money i would buy the cards i really wanted um during, then COVID hit so now there's no sports whatsoever to wager on so i said well the only thing i've kind of been doing on the side that's been kind of making me money is this whole like grading thing and, and i enjoyed doing it because I was collecting at the same time. So I just, during COVID, I just basically would spend all my days just buying cards, like ungraded cards, grade them, sell them, and then try to acquire grails in between and doing that. Um, you know, ended up PCing Zion and getting some nice cards of his. And I have a little Michael Porter Jr. PC, um, created the Instagram account throughout this, built that up. Um, there was no sports card show in Miami, which drove me nuts because I was seeing everybody else having their local shows to go to and i didn't have one and one of my friends uh after i went i went to a show in where was it san antonio i came back he's like how was it? i'm like it's amazing i love going to shows so i get to see the cards in person and i can really tell the condition and he's like why don't we just do one here in miami so i went ahead did a small card show in miami um it was good then we did another show it got more crowded then slab stocks came to um the third show and promoted it. And it was like huge. It was like a lot of people in this kind of like smallish um, venue that we had. And I said, okay, I, I, I got to do a big one because this, this doesn't work inside of this venue anymore. And then I did a, a bigger show called the courtside card show um, here in uh, Brickell uh, in downtown Miami. And yeah, did that card show have continued collecting lately been spending a lot of time in the nfts um you know there's some sports card nfts that i think are going to be like really big down the line that we'll talk about later and uh, kind of been my journey so far this is uh cage i knew this was gonna be a fun episode because j just in this intro i mean we're seven minutes in you've touched on like seven of my favorite topics sports betting nfts sports cards uh how to make money in the space I, I, we'll get into all those. And I also want you, if we at the end, maybe you could give some sports betting tips because we're actually doing a show on whatnot and 
I think that's an interesting, interesting space. We'll save that to the end. Uh, and I do want to talk about, you know, it sounds to me like you're kind of agnostic when it comes to where the money or where the profit's at. Real quick, Cage, I'll let you go. Go ahead. There's something floating around the internet. And really quickly, True Jordan rookie, is it the 86 Fleer or is it the 84 Star? And why? Why is that funny, Cage? 84 is his rookie year. Why is it called the XRC? Because... And I mean, I, I we have a guest, so I can let the guest answer. But and then I'll chime in afterwards. And then I also want him to chime in on whether or not he thinks it's a bananas play to bet the Lions money line. But we we're, we can get to that in a second. Not for a <laughs> fact. Um, yeah, I actually saw that today, so I was thinking about it. Um, you know, Mill. This is my answer. He doesn't have a rookie. I think he doesn't have a rookie actually. Um, that would be my answer because he doesn't have a pack pulled card from 1984. So to me, it's got to be rookie year and it's got to be out of a box. So mate, that's my answer Cage. right here on this being put on the spot. Cage, I know we have a guest, but, but it's floating around the internet and we're a topical show. We do episodes every single day. So when there's topics like that, why is the 84 not his true rookie? Why is that his XRC? There's no answer for this. I mean, there really isn't. Obviously, you know, our guest took the easy way out and you know, he, which is fine. I'm not going to let you do that again though, during our episode, <laughs> but, but so I don't uh, know. I think that's a very controversial answer. Actually what, saying then? that he doesn't have one. Yeah. But, I mean, th then you're not calling one of them a rookie. He has to some, some, one of his cards has to be a rookie card. I mean, everybody has a rookie card. I guess what you're saying, Anthony, is, we, uh, we have, we make plays during the week. He doesn't skip any games. So he, to him, like, I don't, so I don't. He, he, he has to make a decision. No, no decision is that. The so. basically for especially for content. I mean, if I were a gambler, which I'm not, because all gamblers, there are two types of gamblers out there. There are people who lose when they first start gambling, or there are people who lose eventually. But gamblers ultimately lose. It's like motorcycle drivers. There are two kind of motorcycle drivers out there: people who have gotten in an accident and people who will get in an accident. So it's it, you know, gambling is difficult, man. Ultimately, the house is going to take your money one way or the other. But for our show. You know, if there's, there's 16 games, I'm going to give you what my thoughts are on 16. I, I mean, I'm not going to be confident on them. I'm going to tell you on some of them, you know, I wouldn't really put real money on this, but I'm going to tell you which way I lean, right? And and listen, I, I guess it's not a, I guess it's not a, a cop-out answer to say he doesn't have a rookie card. It, the, the, the term rookie card is something that's, it's debatable, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. I would say that, you know, that that rookie logo on rookie cards even that's interesting, right? Because you got ones now where it's the guy's second year, right? You know, you got, you know, like, like your Dan Alvarez, it's got the rookie cup on. He already won rookie of the year before he had the rookie card. And that rookie logo wasn't added on cards until um, baseball added that to cards in 2006. Right. So yeah. that's not even like a, that's not even like a, a bright line demarcation, but basically the way I would define a rookie card is an athlete's first appearance on, on a trading card that is a licensed issue from a major manufacturer that is widely distributed. I don't really have to do pack pulls, so right? So that's, that's, but it's got to be widely distributed, licensed, major manufacturer, first appearance on their trading card. I mean, that's that to me is 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 the deal. That's why the eighty six Fleer is because the star. Why people consider an XRC is yes, it was his first year. It wasn't his third year. 
but it was you know, it was a regional distributed team bag, you know, basically, you know, it wasn't distributed widely. Pack pull, sure, that's usually a great indicator of 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 wide distribution for a card. And and guys, just so that everybody on 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 you know listening to this knows, I have a PSA ten eighty six Flair Jordan, and I have a BGS eight and a half with nine centering star. I have them both because I don't know. <laughs> which one ultimately would be the better one. I mean, obviously money talks and the, you know, the, the 86 one, you know, is, is well outpacing the, uh, you know, the star for me, that is a rookie card, right? That to me, that's, that's a rookie card. A great one better than Jordan is Tiger Woods. That's what I was thinking. Right. Woods is the better. Yeah, example, exactly. We got about S-I third kids. year, right? Oh, one upper deck had a, you know, they issued Tiger Woods. Right. And Woods has had a lot of cards before that, including the 96 Sports Illustrated for kids card, which was widely distributed. Not exactly right. quote unquote license. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not really licenses at the time until Upper Deck came out with them. You know, there's that 1997 Masters card that I just gave away as part of our whatnot um, live yeah. on Sunday. So, I mean, it's a great debate. It's good content. Ultimately, you know, to me, it's a supply and demand thing, right? That's why I add in that wide distribution because, you know, you want to have enough supply and you want to have people who have demand for it and the whole deal. Um, but ultimately the rookie doesn't always win out. Mickey Mantle is the best, best example of the flip side, right? So 51 Bowman licensed widely distributed. That's his rookie card. 51 Bowman is Mickey's rookie card, but it is clearly, clearly price wise significantly under the 52 tops card for uh you know for mickey mantle so yeah loads of fun i I wanted to start there because guys you know we do an episode every day our our podcast is different than others because we do try to talk about macro stuff nfts grading what's going on in the hobby and also topical stuff so that's been floating around i thought it'd be interesting to you guys so something you mentioned uh one of the things that interested me in nfts originally was the liquidity, right? Being able to get in and out of assets and be able to make some money, right? What, what I've noticed in the last year was kind of the small guy being squeezed from two sides, right? So you had product that kept going up in price and grading that kept going up in price. And this middle shrunk, right? So you you mentioned when uh, COVID hit, no more sports to bet on. Rudy Gobert touched the mic. We're done. We're out. All the leagues are canceled. Uh, now we have to do sports cards, and you were sending things to sending cards to PSA, grading them, making money, flipping them. And that was the way that you can, as Cage always calls this, not necessarily a pyramid, but you know these layers. Being able to color up uh, and start with a five hundred thousand dollar bankroll, maybe get to five thousand and start doing that. What about now? And like, where do you look now for these kinds of opportunities? You kind of just have to buy more expensive cards to justify the price of the grading. You know, like if you're buying a you can buy a $500 card now and grade it for 150. And if the card grades a 10, you're going to do good on it. Um, that's kind of what I've been doing. So like something like a LaMelo ball prism silvers this year, are like insanely hard to find, but if you find a centered one, it's going to be worth a lot of money. Cause he's going to have very few tens. All of his cards are very uh, off center. So I'm buying stuff like that. I bought a LaMelo ball quartzite silver, which is super short print. Um, I paid a thousand for that. I got a very good deal. Um, I would be looking at cards in, in that range. Um, and then there's also, I, I haven't been doing it, but I, I probably will. Cause I have some lower end stuff around is like the SGC route for like the, 
to buy the lower end cards, $100 cards, $50 cards, and send to SGC to grade. And that is a, a place that a person can kind of go to get their um, uh, their grading done for a cheaper cost to, to sell. Um, and I know a lot, a lot of people have been having success with that. I've seen some people posting some like pictures back and forth of like card selling as a PSA 10 versus SGC 10 and certain cards are, are doing very well. Um, I think that there's a lot of like obscure players this year who might break out. And if you have those cards graded, even if it's SGC, people are going to want it. So like I collect Kyra Lewis. I have a bunch of his silvers. I'm not going to send them to their $20. I'm not going to send them to PSA right now or BGS, but you know, probably it would be smart to maybe send it to SGC and have a bunch of them graded already. And if he, you know, has a great game, I'm sure that people will, will, will pay for those just because there aren't going to be any in PSA or BGS holders. Um, so I would go probably the SGC route for the lower end and still, you know, obviously PSA and BGS, the values are so crazy from a raw to PSA 10, even PSA nines, I'm sure are going to see an uptick. You can still do it with them for anything. I would say like $400 and up now, since I think they put the, the price now to 150, but you, you know, be, you gotta be a little bit more selective too, like making sure you send the cream of the crop, really investigate the cards. And if you're, submitter offers a um a, a nominal fee to like uh look at the card to see if he thinks it's uh worth grading i would definitely like pay that fee because it will cover itself in the long run so i mean my issue with it and you can tell me because i mean you're running card shows now you know which is awesome you know it's great to have an idea it's also great to execute an idea that's why why i love my co-host over here because every morning i have a million ideas but nothing would happen on him if he didn't execute them all um so you know it, it's it's important to have both right so here's the, the the fun on it i believe and you tell me if i'm wrong um and you would see this from a you know from from different angles from your own collection um and also from card shows from you know walking around the mall and seeing kids getting in a hobby different you know different um you know, wallets, different size checkbooks. If most of people listen, probably know what a checkbook is. But so, 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 I believe that this hobby, the the influx of money that came into the hobby, was a lot of flippers, a lot of people with yeah. small bankrolls trying to flip that up into larger bankrolls. It's definitely a lot of our audience. It's definitely a lot of people who listen to us. It's people who. Um, for lack of a better way of saying it, let's let's use your Trey Young example, right? I mean, you could buy those Trey Young cards for you know, depending on when you're buying them, ten, fifteen bucks raw, yeah. five dollars, yeah, one hundred percent, and grade them. So, so you must have been buying around the same time as I did. I have a fifty-four card Trey Young, you know, raw prism order, and I was paying you know between five and seven dollars each, and paying eight dollars to grade them. You're into right. them for thirteen to fifteen dollars a card, and then you know because it because they held them so long and the prices went up. By the time you get them back, they were you know five seven hundred bucks for PSA tens, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the price to enter that right at the time when you had five or ten dollar base cards for the top rookies, and then eight to ten to twelve dollar bulk grading cards, you're talking about the price to enter. You could you could for for a hundred dollar bulk sub costs you a thousand bucks and a hundred yeah. cards at five dollars, seven dollars each, you're talking about fifteen to seventeen hundred dollars. You're grading a hundred cards, right? Yeah. That's 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 amazing, right? So yeah. so you've just said now the way to make money in the hobby is find a four hundred dollar or more card and grade it for hundred and fifty dollars, right? And you get it back whenever you get it back. 
basically what we're talking about now is you have to find three cards for the same price as what you were talking about a hundred cards on. And you had a shot yeah. of getting, you know, better grades, getting, you know, okay, you name it and, and, mul- and doing that multiple. I hear, and again, tell me if I'm wrong. I'm, isn't that going to cut into the market participants? Isn't that a cut into the people who are in the show? Isn't that going to cut into people who are collecting, who are trying to color up? I mean, doesn't that make it harder to sustain what I call that bottom? I hate pyramid, but there's no better word to use. I mean, it's not a pyramid scheme, guys. I'm not trying to say that, but the bottom of the pyramid is the one trying to move up, you know, and, yes. and it causes that upward upward effect that we've yes. seen over the last couple of years. So. Is SGC, HGA, you know, those grading companies, are those the way to fill in the gap for a little while before PSA opens back up? Is it raw? I mean, what are you seeing at shows? Are you seeing still the same amount of people? Talk to me about that because I think that's what our audience, I think if, if I hear one comment question from them, it's that. It's, it's I can't do what I was doing. So what should I be doing for, a, you know, around the same bankroll? Yeah, I think that the, yeah, like the influx of new people that definitely is going to slow it down a little bit because there was a lot of people. Yep. And like they come in as flippers, but a lot of them do end up like buying other stuff and they go from flippers to collectors. There's been quite a few people that have kind of said like they came in with that just strictly in mind and then they ended up like wanting to own certain things and collecting. So I think that there is going to be like a sect of people who are not going to like fall into that situation that I fell into. I'm like, hold on a second. Wow, this is like amazing for this. Uh, lower cost so yeah um that's that's just kind of like the nature of when a hobby grows and something just takes off in value like people can't afford it um i think of like rolex like uh, stainless steel rolexes used to be able to go into a a store and it would be there and you can buy it and you can own a rolex a very nice one that's scarce a lot of people want for eight thousand dollars that now if you walk into any any rolex store in the world they do not have a stainless steel Rolex for sale. They're all sold to dealers. The only way to now get it, I mean, to like, uh, to other guys who then resell it. So now the only way to get it is to pay $15,000 to pay double. Um, so they completely cut out, uh, you know, a huge amount of customers. Um, and that's just because the the market for watches has, you know, exploded the same as for cards. You're going to miss people that now are going to have to basically go another route. Um, I do hope that, like you said, someone like SUC, because I still think they're like at $35. I don't know. They're definitely not at like you just said $8. There's nothing. There's nothing like that. And and it needs to be $8. It needs to still come back in a reasonable time. It's not like a person's going to like stay in the hobby, pays eight bucks, he gets it back in two years. Right. You know, it used to be like, yeah, I forget what I was. It might have been like 20 bucks, but I would get it back like in a month and a half. Yep. And that and some people used to complain about that um now it's like a month and a half is like you're you're flying so yeah there is going to be um a sect of people that like don't come in because that just because the hobby has just gotten gotten expensive like a kid can't really buy a box of cards anymore um people say you can but then you ask them okay like what is it oh it's some a college product or some sort of like ufc product you know the kids they kind of know they want the prism they, they they know like you know they see what's on instagram what people are posting um they, they don't want to buy off the kids menu they're seeing we're having steak filet mignon over here yeah. and then you're like go eat those chicken tenders that are four days old yeah kids do like, know i i give you in a box of chronicles and i'm like it's fun we're gonna get stuff he's like i don't want this yeah like, i pull zion pulsars <laughs> what am i supposed to do with chronicles yeah so. <laughs> pretty much 
Yeah, it's tough. Um, Guys, so the reason I wanted to have Anthony on, and I really recommend, uh, go to his page on Instagram, Summertime Cards. He's done an amazing live with Putnam. Uh, he's done amazing live uh, with, with rare Pepe creator. Man, he, he, he knows his stuff. One of the things I respect about you is, uh, is you're agnostic, right, to where the profit is. One of my favorite things about the hobby is the people. One of my least favorite things about the hobby is the people. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're so fascinating to me. Like we've already talked about watches, wine, cars, collectibles, span art. I mean, they span everything, right? And oftentimes the hobby is like, no, this is the only way to do it. This is the right way. We only collect this. NFTs, digital art, what this is, what kind of utility is this? This, is, this doesn't make any sense. And then you bring up the examples, like what kind of utility does your uh, piece of cardboard have? And, and they get a little defensive. So what I like about you is you have an open mind and you understand that, hey, I don't control the market, but I, I, I observe. So what got you into NFTs from cards, right? How did you make that switch? And when did you make that switch? Um, so NFTs, all right. So I owned crypto years ago. Um, people use... Uh, I used to be like owed money for my sports betting stuff. I used to have these partners and stuff and they would send me crypto as an easy way to, for, for us to share in the profits. And so I just would take it. They're just like, Hey, is it, do you mind? This is easy. I go, yeah, sure. I'll take the crypto. So I've had crypto for a while and the crypto, and I just held it the whole way through. Thank God. And it went up. And, um, as it went up, I became more interested in it, paid more attention to it and uh basically just became a believer long term in, in cryptocurrency and uh nfts came around and in february it was like all the rage um i had my eye on it but i wasn't like fully convinced yet um like march april went by and i saw people posting about the crypto punks a lot um i thought it was kind of cool i remember one time i was walking with my girlfriend and i said i actually uh, the crypto punk was 20,000 at the time. I said, it's crazy, but I think that anybody who buys at 20,000 is going to actually kill it. She's like, you should get one. I'm like, are you digital JPEG 20,000? Like, that's insane. Uh, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Like my brain hadn't really pulled, like said, like, yeah, like go there, like get it. Um, another month went by, it went up to like 40,000. And, and then I was thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. My Max put them cards. He had already bought one. And uh, just one night, it hit me like there's only 10,000 CryptoPunks and there's 21 million Bitcoins. It's 2,000 times more rare than a Bitcoin. It's not cool to show somebody your phone with one Bitcoin in it. But it is cool to show somebody, you know, or to some people might be, to show, show um, yeah, show to flex. show like, the, the CryptoPunk. That's a picture. That's a screenshot. I could do that too. So... I said, this is, this is not funny cage. 2000, <laughs> this is, uh, this is 2000 times more rare. And I think that people are going to want to put it as their icon at the time. Jay-Z had just put his icon to a, a crypto punk and Jay-Z is like anything that guy touches, he could touch something that's not even cool or make it cool. Like he mentioned, uh, uh, Ublo watches, which at the time were not popular. He mentioned that and they went to the moon. Um, so when I saw, you just it, tweeted about he, Lucas Tigers last night. So he's been he singing said, about oh. Oblo watches for a while. The big face ones. He's been, he's been, yeah, yeah the big I mean, bang. It was called. That's back in the Otis song with the, 
yeah. with, with Kanye. That's part of that. Yeah, exactly. Part of the verses there. Um, yeah, he single-handedly took that took that watch to the moon. But well, listen, I hate this. I hate listening to this because I mean, when it was twenty, twenty-five, thirty, I'm like, I'm gonna buy one of these. I'm gonna buy one of these. I just never did. Um, and yeah. you know, it's 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 funny because I have the same feeling about that as I do with cards. It, I mean, it really is. You know, it's like you have. To, all right, man, I missed out on that. I hate it. I'm not getting into it. You know, oh man, I should have bought that. I mean, when I got back into cards, you know, one of the cards, and I never bought one because I'm an idiot. Um, you know. I'm a Raider fan. I hate Tom Brady. Everybody who listens to the show knows that. But like, I was like, Tom Brady's a goat. He's awesome. It was before he went to Tampa Bay. Obviously, it's a couple of years ago. And um, I wanted an SP Authentic, and I wanted a Bowman Chrome Refractor PSA 10 at the time on eBay. And I was buying cards in these prices. Definitely, the the SP Authentic PSA 10 was less than four thousand dollars. All right, and what are they? A hundred now? Or close to it? Closing in on a hundred? And a Bowman Chrome Refractor? There's not that many of them. The PSA 10. You know, you, you get to see like the nines, nines, BGS nines, nine fives around, but there were, there were several tens buy it now on eBay. Like no one was even buying them. And they were like, you know, 40, $50,000. I'm like, yeah. all right, I should buy one of these. I never did. And what is that? I don't even, you, I don't even know what you, they don't even sell now. Cause it's, I think there's nine of them or something like that. So, yeah. and now I'm like, I'm never, I'm not getting it. And then I watched that SP authentic go from four to 10 to 20 to 50. And I'm like, all right, I guess I should have bought it at 10. I should same thing with the punk, same thing with crypto punk. Um, you know, I remember being at, at the national and it went oh, just in one weekend I think Gary V bought one for like a million dollars, three million dollars, whatever, either an alien or, or a, an ape or whatever he bought, I think an alien. Yeah. And the floor was like, you know, it was like 35,000, 40,000. And then the, the next day it was like 80 and everybody at the card show, which is funny because we're at, we're at like a trade event. Everybody is there going, oh, man, I got to I got to unlist mine. I got to delist mine. You know, like mine, two of them sold last night. I didn't even know. Yeah. I had no idea. I got to I got to my other ones. I got to, you know, and I'm like, oh. but here's the fun part. Now it's like three hundred thousand dollars. Now I'm like, ah, all right, I missed it. And in in a year when it's a million dollars, I'm like, I should have gotten in at three hundred thousand. You know, I mean, it's just and I, and I never will, though, because I missed it. Once I miss it, I'm done. I moved on. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah, but missing it is so subjective. Like you said, like people missed the Brady at four. That's a 10. They, the guy who bought it at 10, he, he, he didn't miss it. Um, that's part of it, uh, right? I mean, that's yeah. part of it. It really is. It I, really is, you know, those entry levels, right? It really is. It's crazy. I'm curious, Ant. So it's hard in this NFT space to separate fact from fiction, right? A, a lot of – it's interesting. Like we live in a world where media – kind of controls and media, I don't mean like CNN, CNBC, I'm talking about individual profiles and, and people with large followings have a real say in how a asset moves. So how do you separate fact from fiction? How do you know what's a good NFT to invest in? How do you know what's even a good NFT to, project to look at versus this is going to be a rug pull or has okay. potential to be a rug pull? So it's like sim similar to cards. So like... I love Jordan inserts, right? If you jump in that pool of, of Jordan inserts and you meet the collectors and you see like how passionate they are about it and you, you have these conversations with them about these inserts, you know, like Jordan inserts are not going anywhere. Like these people are obsessed with <laughs> their Jordan inserts and like they'll go to the grave with their inserts. Um, you know, maybe if they rise 5X or 10X, they may sell, but they're, they're in no rush to sell it. So you really see like they're in the crypto world, we call it diamond hands. They're, they're diamond hands. They're, they don't really um, let them go 
too often. So you, that will kind of give you a confidence to, to pull the trigger on one of these things. Or, you know, as you get to know collectors, you just see guys who are, who are just smart. Like I saw Coleman cards. He bought a, um, a credentials future uh, Jordan. Like when he goes out of his way to kind of like make, make a bigger purchase, like it catches my attention. Like he, cause I know he's thought about that a lot and a lot of research and homework has gone into it. So kind of paying attention to that. So in the NFT world, look to see what the biggest collectors are buying. The guys who somehow every time they buy an NFT within a few months, you know, you see it rise in value. Um, also just, like I said, uh, going into the discord, that's kind of like where you see the community of the NFTs and see like, are they talking more about just the values or do you see people really like talking about the actual NFTs and the collectability of it um, and getting a sense? Is it more like just flippers in this uh, sector or is it like similar, like a prison based PSA 10? It's mostly flippers buying that, right? Versus like the more something like more niche and more rare, like uh, like like an ether rock. You know, a what? Like an ether rock. I mean, <laughs> it's stupid looking, but the people who own it are, are yeah. I mean, they're, they're some of the wealthiest crypto holders, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'm the most bullish on the ether rock. People I think think it's a gag when I say that, but I do think it's like one of the best investments in the world period because the richest people in the world own the ether rock. So they'll die before they sell it for less than what they paid each buyer comes in with that mindset buying that ether rock. So the only way to get it is to pay more for the next one. And nobody wants to be known as the guy who sold it for less than the last one. Yeah. It's like a hundred of the most elitist guys. And like, it's not like that. It's not like they're 20 million. Uh, it's a million dollars, like million dollars for a lot of these rich guys. It doesn't change your life whatsoever. So they can continue even 3 million wouldn't change their life whatsoever. Um, they can continue to just sit on it and wait till someone's willing to pay a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. And again, there's only a hundred and it's very much, um, considered like, you know, uh, the to, ultimate to me, like, NFT status symbol is owning an ether rock right now. Same thing. A couple of the most sharpest guys, one of the best basketball sports betters of all time. His name is Heralibus Valgaris. He's, a he's, um, he works. You for mean, John, you mean John Anthony, right? Yeah, he's like the the real John Anthony, uh, but he never sold his picks. He um, he owns uh, he owns an Ether Rock, and uh, this other guy named Mike McDonald, who's one of the most successful poker players ever, he bought an Ether Rock. So when I saw them buy it, I'm like, and I kind of agreed with it. I knew like this is going to continue to go up for a while. That that Ether Rock. I make the metaphor, the anecdote. It's like if Neil Armstrong, when he went to the moon and came back and had a hundred moon rocks. And those were auctioned off. Like, what what would be the value of that? I'd be insane, right? Like, everyone would want like a piece of the moon. Yeah, well, if we believe in in Ethereum, not as just the currency, but the people that know Ethereum well, it's the DeFi, it's the NFTs, it's this whole world that I kind of call the Sim City of the Internet. Well, yeah. I would want the first uh, digital versions of those rocks too. So, so it does make sense if you forget about like the aesthetic of it and you understand the the concept of it. Give me a give me a plasma bear any day. That's what I'm saying. Give me a plasma. They're cuter. I don't understand the plasma bears. The, <laughs> the ether rock also, to an extent, is the meme factor of it. It's like so stupid. Like that is actually part of the appeal to it. Um, the simplicity. Like I, bought, I bought a yeah. So I bought a Pepe that's called Invisible Pepe. So the, the NFT is nothing. It's just a white screen. Um, and my thought process is the ether rock is worth what's worth partly because of how dumb it is. 
and the uh, invisible Pepe is, uh, they call it the first NFT of nothing. So I actually think it's even stupider than the ether rock. <laughs> so I think it actually has a very high upside because of that. Because how can something be dumber than the ether rock? I think the, uh, the uh, invisible Pepe actually- People have been making money on dumb things forever. In first grade, I'm not gonna out this kid's name. I'm gonna call him Wayne. I won't say his last name, but a real, real kid, all right? He was into science and we had some dumb kids in my first grade class. And he went out and I guess he, he maybe he he got it in his kitchen cabinet, whatever it was. And he came in. We were learning, you know, science, first grade science about water, gas, you know, liquid solids, all this fun stuff. Right. So he came in with a, a box full of Ziploc bags and he wrote on them and he was selling them for a quarter each for these Ziploc bags, which, you know, first grade, you know, they, they were probably a penny each is what they cost the bags. Yeah. Um, now a quarter a bag, it's probably about right, but I went to school a long time ago, but he wrote with pen on it. He said, this bag is full of dehydrated water <laughs> and he sold it to kids for a quarter each. And they were, I got a dehydrated water. I got a dehydrated water. And then, you know, yeah. Wayne taking advantage of all the idiots in our school, but you're hundred percent right. Sometimes it's, there's a stupid stuff that people are like, all right, there you go. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's so dumb. It makes sense. So Tell us why this at rock. The pet yeah, rock pet from rock. back in the day took off because it was so dumb. This is the pet rock, but with a limited supply of 100 and there can't be any more made. And these people are going in on it. If you look at how much the pet rock has probably outsold even the amount of ether rock volume from back in the day. Because I know that was like the biggest phenomenon other there for like a year. Cage, uh, Anthony, you're meeting Cage for the first time. He usually does these episodes from home. So his bedroom, he has... Uh, Crazy bones and beanie babies everywhere. That was his collection, collecting items. Right. I'm curious. I mean, like you said, this is uh, this is the same game over and over again. I mean, a lot of you guys, you know, I've talked about this, the tulip craze, the tulip bubble. Uh, so there are ether tulips, this? by the way, Andrew. That should be your favorite thing. There's actually there's ether tulips. Yeah. T tell me <laughs> why this isn't a tulip craze. Why this isn't a digital tulip craze? The, the NFTs I, in general. NFTs. Um, well, it's very much tied to the the whole like uh, NFTs is the first digital art ever. And art in in the world, the thing that sells for the, the most is art. It sells for more than even the most expensive house. The most expensive um, art has will sell for three hundred million dollars. You know, mm -hmm. and that's not even the most expensive art, uh, piece of art. It's just the most expensive one that's sold. Obviously, the, the Mona Lisa is not going to go for sale, but if it did, it would do. You know. I think they value it like the what it what it means to the French eco uh, economy is like five billion dollars. So art is the most expensive. Um, NFTs is the first digital art ever. So and the way that the world is going, everything's digital. People are on their phones staring at screens all day long. So I just don't see how digital art is not going to continue to be a thing. And even if it's just a fraction of the the physical the physical art world that's going to be enormous um i argue that i think digital art can become even bigger than physical art because it's so seamless i can sell a 50 million dollar painting like this uh or nft to somebody and we don't have to worry about securing it putting it in some you know some they put these things in storage houses in places they have to insure it for insane amounts they have the fake art in their house and the real art in a storage somewhere you don't have to do that i can put it in my online gallery and people can go people can go and look at it um and you just have access to the world basically because with crypto anybody can transact crypto it's harder to kind of like 
buy a $50 million or $100 million Picasso. You have to sign up with the auction house. You have to get approved, this, that, the other. If you got the crypto, you can buy it. Um, and it's, yeah, I just automatic got, verification. You know, you're, not, you're not blocked. You're not like, you know, I tried to bid in Golden this past weekend. They have six figures of my money from old auctions and I tried to bid on something. They blocked me. They said, you, you can't bid on it. I'm like, you guys, I had to email them. You guys are holding more money than what I just bid of mine. What are you doing? Yeah. So you're right. Crypto, it opens the door. You don't have to be pre, pre-qualified. Nothing. It's, it's, it's all in there. Yeah. So let me ask you something, right? Because and we can get into this and I, I don't want to get too long. And we'll follow this up with you. You, you had a little teaser there about, you know, sports NFTs, you know, digital, uh, you know, sports NFTs. So we'll talk about that in a sec. But, but tell me, are you envisioning an Oasis, a Ready Player One world where the Oculus or some other form of it is is basically people's release? People come home, you know, and, and they're on yes. there and they, they're touring. Everybody has an individual art gallery. Everybody has their own space somewhere. They're putting their NFTs up there and you're going in. There are clubs. There are malls. There are, is, is the metaverse. I call the Oasis from Ready Player One. But, I mean, is, is that what you envision? Yeah, like that, that's going to happen. Um, Facebook already said that they are a, this is from Mark Zuckerberg, quote unquote, we are becoming a metaverse company. Like they are determined to create the metaverse. Um, yeah, this is what the Oculus, for those that don't know, this is the, the VR headset that you put this on. It's fully all immersive. And yeah, there, I think that's definitely going to be the, the next um, kind of like frontier where people are going to spend a lot of their time is going to be um, in the metaverse in a, in a ready player one type um uh environment and there's already i mean yeah you can already go to my gallery inside that and walk around my gallery and see like i'll show here i i pulled it up um you can already see my artwork inside the gallery and it doesn't so this is the gallery i have for people real quick i just want to read them the definition so and you could maybe do your own definition the metaverse is a virtual reality space in which users can interact with a computer generated environment and that's what anthony's yeah. showing you here yeah it's like a 3d world that you can walk it's like a video game except you can actually like walk around so this is my gallery so you can walk around is sim city the right kind of metaphor for this is that the way people will understand and visualize it I think so. Yeah. So like that's the Michael Jordan, the rare, this is the first uh, sports related NFT ever made. Um, and it happens to be Michael Jordan, which I thought was cool. What is that? Is there any, what's that from? Huh? What is it? What is it? What's that from? The so sports. this is a rare, pe this is a rare Pepe. It came out in, um, I believe 2016. Um, it's, so it's obviously an NFT. It's tokenized it's on the blockchain. So people say you can make another one. You can't unless you have a time machine and you can go back to 2016 and mint it on the blockchain because everything is timestamped. And yeah, so then you can click here and then it tells you the card down here. Is there any issue with like likeness? You know, like they're using Michael Jordan's name without his uh, approval. Well, I believe this is considered satire because it has a frog as his face. So you can get away with it um basically for all the peppers i think that's the case but also these are already in the market so what are you going to do i don't think that you can really stop it once it's in the market and it's trading around um like andy warhol also used a million celebrities likenesses those sell all the time so i don't think that will ever um be an issue in the in the nft and world and the whole thing about the nft and, and crypto is decentralized so like how also who do you go after with it right uh, yeah so yeah, there's going to be, there, I don't think there is yet, but there will be decentralized NF, NFT exchanges too. Like right now you have to use OpenSea. 
but eventually you'll just be able to put it on a decentralized NFT exchange. You won't have to pay a fee to OpenSea. Now it would just be um, like basically 0% to even transact them uh, over time. Let me give you guys a quick, uh, quick anecdote. We'll get into sports betting in a second here, but uh, quick. So you just held up, Anthony, that kind of your own uh, gallery, right? So the, yeah. you mentioned the Mona Lisa is worth $5 billion to France, right? To the French economy. The Louvre, where it's at, people pay admission, hundred bucks to go see it. Now right. picture this world, guys. You put on your headset and you're you're in the metaverse. You're having fun. You're maybe you're at a bar with your friends in the metaverse, and you want to go to Summertime Cards Gallery. He's got some awesome pieces. He's got Jordan with that satire frog on his face. He's got his crypto punk in the back in his cigar lounge. He's got it all decked out. <laughs> and he charges ten dollars in ether terms, so point zero zero one ether to get admission to his gallery and how seamless is that with ether people say yeah i would love to come in the virtual reality world i'm with my friends you guys want to go check out summertime cards gallery and just right through the metaverse not only you know are you guys having experience summertime cards is making money off of his investments which he took a chance and a huge risk on to create a gallery so there's so much real world application with all of this stuff so all you guys that say you know there's no utility with these uh nfts in this art well, I just gave you a utility where somebody could create a real business off of the gallery that they bought. No different than art dealers did. I mean, they probably still do, but no different than art dealers have done for the last 500 years. So just to give you guys a little bit of a understanding of how this applies in real life. I, I hope that's I did, I did it justice. Feel free to add to that if I if I kind of missed anything. Uh, I think that's true. Yeah, people will be able to charge um, charge admission to get in. I think for um, like the really really uh, big collectors, I even think like like if you buy, so you can now eventually you'll be able to buy plots of land in the metaverse. There already is some, but I don't think the one that's gonna basically ascend is is yet created. But like let's say um, the biggest NFT collector is this guy named Vincent Van Doe. He has an incredible collection. Like whoever buys the plot of land next to his museum, wherever he puts it, that's going to be worth a lot of money. And then other galleries will pop up the same way in the real world. Like in New York, a lot of the galleries, all the best ones are all uh, next to each other. So just buying the NFTs and creating the museum and putting it somewhere that you just kind of created a new utility where now you're even, you, you could charge admission to come into your gallery, but also the, the, the digital real estate value yep. of your of your uh of your plot will go up in value yep. too as well as the stuff around it you've got a smart guy will probably buy everything around him too cash flow and investment which is which is a dream scenario uh, we'll get into sports betting and i want to hear your macro thesis on the hobby and nfts but real quick gas fees the last night i sold my world of women it was called the 1.8 ether it was a 40 dollar gas fee tiny this morning it was 500 so this fluctuation kind of uh leaves people with a bit of uncertainty, I guess is, is the best yeah. way to word it. Uh, how do you how do you think about gas fees? I think gas fees are a, a negative right now, especially as the um, the network uh, kind of grows, the gas fees go up. It's just it's kind of like a speed bump, I think, in the um, in the world that eventually the gas fees will come down. I think that's like one of their biggest uh, goals is to, to lower the gas. Uh, and I and I think that they will. It's just for now, it's kind of like an issue. Um, a lot of people that are buying the NFTs, since they go up in value so 
so crazily, like stuff can double or triple overnight. Um, they don't really care about the gas fees. Like for me, yeah, I've added up some gas fees, but just one NFT sale kind of makes up for all the gas fees, all the gas fees that I've that I've ever had. So for me, it's not a big issue. But Ethereum is working on bringing down the uh, the gas, and they've come a long way from years ago. Same with with Bitcoin. I think there was like a billion dollar Bitcoin transaction that took place your day and the guy paid like ten dollars in uh ten dollars in fees or something yeah. something crazy so i remember it was, it was like some billion dollar transaction the guy barely paid anything so i think that the fees are will eventually get lower but yeah when the system when the ethereum network is super volatile you see the gas fees kind of like get get crazy and it's um we've seen it it's funny a lot of people have got into crypto in like the last 12 months right since their stimulus checks kicked in and they're like eh, let's just do this um if you guys were with us in 2015 when when bitcoin was kind of popular there were days where gas fees were astronomical and you had a transaction kind of stuck in in the metaverse without being confirmed for i, I had one took two days to confirm so it was th these are all kind of these growing pains that these these yeah. uh cryptocurrencies go through that are actually addressed with what i think of as economies of scale it's kind of how I see it as, as a industry, as a crypto, as a currency matures, these things get, get, uh, get addressed. It's kind Age. of funny though, because people that use the naysayers of, of crypto all the time say, you can't buy anything with your crypto. Well, now you see these, you know, it's so many millions selling in NFTs. And now they say, oh, now nah, look at your gas fees. But you said you couldn't buy it. Now you can buy something. So it's the fact that people are now transacting with it for the first time ever um that's also a part of the rise part of the reason why nfts have gone so crazy is that people who have held crypto for so many years finally actually now have something they can, they can buy seamlessly with it so it's kind of like double-edged sword where the gas fees are high but the network is is um showing that you know yes there are there is things that you can buy and um yeah it's it goes both ways basically Cage, any NFT questions? I do want to do maybe five, seven minutes here of – I'm going to pick your brain on sports betting if you don't mind. I mean, it's all the same stuff, right? I mean, you can get right into the sports betting. Right? We're, all, we're all gambling. I mean, it really is. It's just, it's just you know, it's calculating risk. It's risk management, right? And I'm sure, you know, the, uh, the gambling DNA <clears throat> that Summertime Cards here has is probably part of what led him into, um, into cards again. Um, you know, as a gamble and opening up packs. He can, you know, he can get an edge, which is what all gamblers look for by buying raw and grading with PSA. That edge, you know, is not as sharp <laughs> as it was previously. There are still some edges to have out there. It looks like the edge is there in, in, in NFTs. Um, and then we're going to talk about sports betting. It, to me, it's all part of the same DNA. We're all in this. We're all looking to try to make money. We're all trying to, you know, educate ourselves and, and find an edge. Um, and I love the way you put it, Andrew, about it being agnostic, because what we haven't heard from him yet is, well, that um, that's terrible. He doesn't understand plasma bears. OK, I get that. Right. It's fine. That's about as close as we got, which is, you know, it, it's not saying the hell with that. Right. But, you know, whether it's Rolex and I'm, I guess I'm mad I should have bought that Milgauss for four thousand dollars, even though it's an ugly color green, um, you know, Rolexes, wines, you know, collectibles, gambling, cards, NFTs, you know, whatever it may be, you know, it all is part of the same kind of equation. We're all chasing, That's you know, we're all chasing yeah, alpha, it's right? It's yeah, it's non-revenue producing collectibles that people just want to own. 
Like that's simply what it what it comes down to in predicting like what's going to have more demand coming in for it, and that's what's going to drive the drive the prices. And more people are going to want it in the future, it's going to go up. If less people are going to want it, it's more than likely um, going to go down. I'm not fully agnostic, actually. Though one thing that I am very, that I kind of do always do is I have to actually like it. So I've seen a lot of NFTs that I know are going to go up, but I didn't buy them because I didn't like it, which I kick myself a little bit. But yeah, like that's just uh, something that I that I do that I will not buy something unless I genuinely want to own it because if I lose money on it, at least I believed in it. Um, and I and I kind of like liked it rather than just speculate on something that I that I I feel like is gonna go up because I see the momentum, but I don't necessarily like. So buy what you love carries over to NFTs, but you don't have to worry about buy the card, not the slab. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> buy what you love works in everything in life. I think actually. Can you can you love the creator behind it and not necessarily the art? Because I think we're I think most people out there know who you're talking about. Cage had a, a light bulb. He's like, because. Can you can you respect like the creator, but also understand that the creator creator has limitations and that the art is subjective? Um, no, I wouldn't. If I think <laughs> if someone if, if, a create, if an artist I like makes something and I think it's garbage, I'm not gonna buy it. You know, um, I would just go, go and buy more of the other one because now I think the other one is actually worth even more because he actually fumbled the ball in the next one. What about that's the utility of- and access, right? So that's the whole thing about NFTs that we didn't even get into. Uh, it's okay. There's the, the art, the PFP, uh, but there's also the the utility, right? You get you know a ten minute consultation call with me if I'm a businessman, or you know I'll do a design for you. What about access and utility? Does that do, do you weigh that? Um, I would if I, I, I currently I've only bought NFTs that I buy just kind of like for the cultural significance, the historical significance and the artwork. That's kind of like what the main three things that I'm looking for in the NFTs that I buy. Um, that's why something like uh, Plasma Bears and some of these other NFTs, like oh, someone really tried hard to explain to me why Plasma Bears are going to matter in 2025. It's very hard. It wasn't one of the first NFTs. It didn't like you don't see celebrities or like this massive community around them. So I struggle to buy uh, NFTs like that. The reason I like the, the Pepe so much is because they were, they really created what, uh, you know, we see today with the CryptoPunks, all this stuff, like Pepe came before CryptoPunks. So- Is this um, a plasma bear? Yeah. yeah. Cool. No. The one, I the did black buy one of those yeah, and sold one. it because there was one influencer who posted one and like the guys just had this track record that every time you post a plasma bear or anytime you post an NFT, the value like doubles in like two seconds. I, I, I did buy one and then I sold it. I don't think they're they're um, like bad looking, but like there's going to be so many thousands and thousands of NFTs. Like you need to have like a strong foundation as to why um, you're going to matter down the line in order for me to, to, to be interested in it. Makes sense. The big difference between sports betting and, and any of the other things we mentioned is if you're if you're wrong or right, you still have an opportunity to kind of cash out. With sports betting, you can be so right yet so wrong, and at the end of the day, your your investment goes to zero. So, give yeah. us like your principles. One of my favorite books is Ray Dalio Principles, where he lays out a kind of its foundation for investing. What do you have a set of principles that you would recommend to people about? Uh, we'll talk about sports betting. I'm sure there will be some carryover, but specifically yeah. sports betting. Well, with sports betting, um, 
like I don't really see myself as a, a gambler per se. Like I don't go to a casino. I have no interest in actually um, like gambling in a casino at a blackjack table or anything like that. Um, the, the way I looked at sports betting is more like day trading stocks. So like, yes, it is true that 99.9% .9 of day traders lose, but there is a, a, a an amount that have won long term. Um, so when people Tim, say- Tim like, Sykes is a good example of that, by the way. Huh? Tim Sykes is someone I respect a lot in that space. Yeah. So it is kind of like, smart, like, okay to say like, yeah, everyone's going to lose sports betting, but that's not necessarily true. There are people that for 20, 30 years have consistently won and found an edge. So long as you're basically either your subjective way of looking at it is sharper than the, than the lines, or you find different like systems that, that kind of work, um, that like Bayes hasn't figured out. Um, you can kind of gain an edge for me. Uh, well, the number one tip I tell people is don't wager on the games and do not wager on the totals. You're already at a huge disadvantage. You're trying to launch a half court shot, Tr go as niche as possible into the, the wager type that you do. So try to wager on how many assists a player is going to have over or under, because there's, there's way less factors that comes into something like that. Or I used to wager on like what team is going to call timeout first in the game. Like the amount of time that Vegas and the odds makers take coming up with those lines is very, very small. So if you spend hours and hours and hours obsessing over that, trying to figure it out, you probably will be able to, to gain an advantage. Well, not um, because it's a coin flip. What he's saying here, guys, is that you they're not going to spend time, but you can research that there are five yes. or eight coaches in the league that – take timeouts early, maybe because their quarterback is disorganized exactly. or whatever it may be, and you're able to gain an advantage over Vegas. They're not, they're just, okay, it's a coin flip, it's 50-50, but you realize that, that you know, over the last five seasons, John Gruden calls timeout in the first five minutes because his team's got too many penalties or because they're, they're uncoordinated, yeah. they can't get on the field, so you're now getting an advantage by doing more research than the other side is doing. Well, That's what you're I'll saying, give, it's not a coin flip. I'll right? give one nugget. You, you just, the, the road team always is going to call timeout first because of the noise. They end up calling timeout first a grand majority of the time. So this is an NFL, right? NFL yeah, specifically. Yeah. So road team's going to call you always bet on on road team to to uh to call the first timeout. Um and that's profitable. It's profitable until the lines makers figure it out and then they adjust the lines. But a lot of times it takes them quite a while because if you're the only person kind of getting an edge on them and betting this for the max, which usually is not too crazy on a player prop. They don't care. Like, oh, someone figured it out. Well, there's 10 other guys who didn't figure it out who are losing juice to us, and we're still profitable on this wager type, so they allow you to, to keep going. So I would say um, wager on, like, the things that nobody else is wagering on and try to find uh, a niche. Even if it's a niche sport, like golf is easier than wagering on NFL, let's say, or, like, these other sports. Um, and that's kind of the, like, if you're trying to, if you're actually trying to, to gain an advantage and trying to win money long-term, those are the, um, that's one tip I would say, like never, ever wager on like a game Sunday night, just because you're down. Like you only wager when you feel like you have a significant advantage and you can kind of like really point at the advantage, something like that figuring out the road team and like, no, look, I've done the, the research 63% of the time, the road team calls time out. I've gone through the data. So I would say like having like very specific reasons as to why you think um, you have an advantage and only wagering on games like that. And just being honest with yourself, if you're not winning, you know, you, it's, it's hard. 
it's not easy. Like I tried playing poker. I wasn't good at it, but with sports, I just, I, I, I did well and continued to do well. So I, I kind of just stuck with that um, because it, it, it's not for everyone. You have to be like very emotional. You have to be very disciplined. You have to, ha- you have to be, you know, you can't have that gambling gene. If you have the gambling gene, there are some guys who have it and then they say they're able to like um, reel it in. But for the most part, I feel like it's very, very hard. Um, I don't believe them. I don't believe uh, them. Me too. I yeah. chase. Um, I chase. I, by the way, go for cards, right? So so find that niche, find that thing. This was 2012 Prism for me three years ago when no one else was buying it and then grading it. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's guys like Yamwax who are finding, you know, Elon Musk rookie cards. It's guys who got into golf and tennis cards and boxing yes. and even soccer ahead of the curve, right? It, it's fine. Even F1? Even F1. Even F1, F1 for F1 now too. remains to be seen, right? But or even yeah, for right now, F1, wax. And, and, you know, so, so find where you have the edge. Second, don't chase. You happen to open three or four boxes or something and you go down in flames. Don't say, well, you know what? I'm two grand in. You might as well yank that National Treasures or, or box off the wall and open that one now and quadruple down because I'm going to make it all back in this next box. No, no the box is the worst. That's so. just a no-go all the way. You're, <laughs> just never, you're never winning opening boxes. So there's, That's I mean, that. it's funny. It's all, it really is all the same, you know, the, all the same, you know, all the same part of this. Uh, I call it the gambler's mentality. You, you know, you've taken the, uh, let's call it the, the gamble to the next level, which is, you know, only play if you're able to put the odds in your favor, which to me, I'm like, ah, that's, that's, what's the fun in that? (laughs) I'm I'm Cage Lawyer. The odds are always in my favor. (laughs) That's right. May the odds always be in my favor. And when they're not great, then the odds are wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And, and to an extent, like I kind of got burnt out from the, the sports betting because I, I, I never really got the, there was no like enjoyment in terms of like the gambling rush or whatever. So after doing it for a long time, I actually recently last year, I stopped doing it just because it wasn't as enjoyable anymore. Like I wanted a new, a new chat, like just betting on the road team to call time out first or something like it's just, yes, it, it would, it would make me money, but I wanted a new challenge and um, I've had a lot of fun buying, you know, like higher end sports cards and buying the NFTs and getting into the crypto and kind of like um, diversifying the, the money that I made from sports betting and putting it in these different uh, industries that I think are um, on the rise. I have a question for you, for, for you two guys. When it comes to like the, the extremely high end, extremely high end sports cards, the one, two million, three million dollar cards, like where do you guys like see that going like over the next, you know, like five years, 10 years? Um, yeah, I'm curious to see. I'll throw my, my two cents after that. Fractional has blown the roof off of things. So whether that's collectible rally and Otis or even dibs, I got to give them credit for how they've been doing their stuff with uh, fractionalizing it through crypto. I think we see that when we collectively invest in something, we're way less disciplined in knowing what something's worth, right? Like I can't really buy a Michael Jordan PSA 10 Fleer on my own, but if they fractionalize it, all right. And if it's 20, 30% higher, I'll chase, I guess, right? So I think fractional has blown the roof off of things. And fractional is not just going to happen with cards. It's going to happen with uh, million-dollar properties, like like really elite properties. So I was listening to an episode with Ralph Paul, and he was talking about, like, it's so counterintuitive. And it's funny. He said this, Ralph Paul, about uh, traditional investments. And Lior said this as well. He said, it's counterintuitive. The 
highest value assets are the ones that actually appreciate more than the average assets. So like from our family yeah. house, we bought it for 200K. Now it might be 400K 20 years later. But Cage's penthouse in New York, he bought it for 25 mil. Now he now it's 50 mil in one year. So those assets appreciate way faster. So it's it's kind of this yep. counterintuitive thing and fractionalizing, uh, tokenizing, whether that's through collectible and that they're regulated by SEC and Rally and Otis or just through uh, traditional kind of like uh, cryptocurrency fractional, I think it's going to blow the lid off of really high value sought after things. So you know what's funny, right? So so the, the easy answer is those seven-figure cards, they'll be fine. Not everything's going to be fine, but those seven-figure cards are going to be fine, right? And they're always going to continue to go up for exactly the same reason that you um, talked about with your Ether Rocks, right? Because the people who are going to own those, that's not their whole wealth. You know, it's not me where I'm scraping together everything, selling both of my kids blood and semen for a month so that I can buy a Mickey Mantle PSA 8. No. Right. The guys who own the eights, the nines. Right. This is like, you know, it's like a toenail to them. Right. It's nothing. You know, this is not going to impact their wealth one bit. Right. Uh, Or it's held by a fund. Right. And and you're talking about like true scarcity. It doesn't have to be just the mantle. It could be the Giannis one of one. It could be, you know, these 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 precious metal gems, you know, the the really highly sought after seven figure, you name it, um, cards, because. They're held by a fund that is chasing alpha and it has to has to show return. So they can't sell it at a loss, right? They'll only sell it when somebody comes in to make money for them and their investors on the card. That's not going to be the case for everything else, though. Eventually, right. they will reach a breaking point for it. And what's funny is this has been borne out over time. A correction, you know, I, not a breaking. I collected in the 80s. Right. And there's very little stuff from the 80s that mattered. But if I if instead of buying um you know a whole bunch of garbage instead of buying a whole bunch of 87 tops you know um bo jackson and will clark and mike greenwell who were you know big names at the time right instead of buying those cards um you know instead of if i would have just put that money into either a piece of a mickey mantle or a a honus wagner or whatever it may be or or scraped it all together and bought one of those or got into a group and bought those Okay, I would hold that. And yes, maybe in the 90s, it goes down, right? Maybe in 2000, it goes down. But you know what? Then in 2000, you know, should I be buying Carmelo Anthony cards like I was, you know? And 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 if I were in the Mantle or the Wagner or, you know, it doesn't have to even go back that far. You know what I mean? The Ricky Henderson rookie, which is really scarce. And I mean, it's not seven figures, but you get the point, yeah, right? Yeah. In 2000, now, I don't know what Luca's going to do. I have no idea. I don't know what Trey Young's going to do, but people are putting money in Trey Young right now. Maybe it's smarter to be putting it in the stuff that every 15, 20 years, if you would yeah. just put it in that, that's the stuff that continues to go up. It's not as sexy. No one's given right. stories now about how they, they paid five or $10 plus grading fees and flipped that 15, 20 bucks for $500. But uh, over time, I think because of what hands, you talk about diamond hands versus paper hands, what hands those high class, you know, the, the high value assets are going to be in. Those are going to be safer plays over time because people who hold them don't need to get out of them. And they're definitely not going to be the ones who are going to get made fun of getting out of it at a loss. Yeah. I, I I actually like some of the, for the short term, I think long-term you're right, but for short term, something like buying uh, Trey young, I actually think it's smart because if you look like, if you look at a lot of the stars in the NBA, let's say like Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, right? All these guys, 
who their values are not too crazy now, but they all had a massive upswing at some point in their career um, because they showed promise. And then eventually, you know, like Russell Westbrook won an MVP, even Derrick Rose, a lot of people, you know, he fell off. But if you bought him his rookie year, he won MVP. You like killed it if you sold at the right moment. So I still think buying the young guys, like we've seen a, a million times with young guys, they hit like a, a milestone accomplishment. And there actually is a an exit point there, um, you know, if you don't, um, plan on holding for uh, a long, long time. But I do think, yeah, like for if you're long, long, long term, just buying LeBron now is or by, buying LeBron, buying Michael Jordan, those guys, whatever card basically is going to probably um, perform better. But yeah, Listen, like, it's not the rarest in certain world, but scoring kings. Michael Jordan won just sold this weekend for $21,000 on yeah, PWCC with the whole deal, right? Um, yeah. You know, I bought mine to like 18, you know, and there's like 90 something of them. You know, it's not the rarest yeah. thing in the world, but I'm not selling it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it would have to go to like $100,000 before I thought about selling it. You know what I mean? It's 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 that type of thing, right? You, you talk about your diamond hands, right? I mean, you talk about that yeah. kind of stuff. So he's going to show something. What you, what you got there? What, what you got? got there? I bought the, this is, a, you brought the Jordan. Um, this is pop 199 it's the uh oh man this lighting kind of sucks no they can't do this to this card this is numbers. the uh the lens is that hot numbers is that a flare hot numbers it looks like yeah let me get better lighting because i can't ruin this card like this yeah oh yeah it's the hot numbers insert that's kind of like oh there we go Let's see it's kind of like the lenticular mm-hmm. um i personally think flare showcases one of the or, the nicest designs out there. I'd put them top three. It's amazing to me what those cards were. I pulled that card out of a pack multiple times, but they're just hard in in, in PSA 10. Like, I was yeah, opening the, packs when those came out. Yeah, these uh, – yeah, because the back of these are, like, there's all this color. Yep. So it's hard. But um, I think, like, yeah, like, this technology for 1995 is, like, incredible. So, like, something like this, this cost me $3,000. Um, I feel like that can only go up because there's only 200 and. Like, you know what worries I me? I don't think any of those people are really trying to trying to sell it. Everyone's just legitimately trying to, you know, just want they just want to own it and add it to their collection. So I like stuff like that. Like that's what I buy that I, I that I that I that I I have no intention of uh, selling anytime down the road. Um, and the other cards I have too. Like some of them I would sell, but like if I were to do very good outside of the cards with the other stuff that I do. And I, I would hold a lot of them, um, not all of them, but like a lot of like some of these, uh, like if he has a great year, maybe I would sell one of these of Michael Porter Jr. This is his RPA out of 99. I have, we call um, him Michael. We call him Michael Porter Jesus on the show. Really? I also have another nickname for him. Overrated. Overrated. He's not rated, Cage. He's out. His base prism is a hundred bucks. No one rates him. You just he hate him. He didn't show his base prism. He uh, <laughs> wait. You think Michael Porter Jr. is overrated? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my co-host compared him to. But Kevin he had Grant. the he had the most efficient he had the most efficient season in the history of the NBA for a swingman it's, last year. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. You know what you just did there? You just weaved a narrative. Right, so hey, I love this NFT because when you, when you when you there. when you compare when you combine the fact that this CryptoPunk has a frown and a purple hat and a, it's the rarest one that there is. Everybody has oh, to no. spin their own yarn, right? So who get 
when you were a kid, when you were a kid playing basketball, right? And you did the whole like you holding the basketball and you you were ready and it was you against for me it was Magic Johnson. It was me against Magic Johnson and it was three two and 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 and, and Cage goes for the last second shot and it's over Magic Johnson and three two a buzzer, you shoot it. You won, you won the championship, you you won, you you beat the Lakers. Did you as a kid in the schoolyard say three two? Oh my goodness, summertime cards has the most efficient season for a swing man ever. No, no, no one gives a shit about that. Come on, you're not buying a card. Of he, and he doesn't efficient. watch basketball. Win, 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 get the last second it's shot, win the championship, then I'll buy your cards. This he doesn't guy, watch he, he has to win a title. I'm saying someone like this who already is having seasons comparable to Kevin Durant at such a young age. Where do, what do you think is going to happen oh, in five years? Oh my, like, where do you? Oh. It's just statistically, it's just oh. he's the next Durant. Like he's gonna continue to get. But if you just look at the history of basketball players, they don't peak in their second or third year. He's gonna continue to get better and better and better. He's the so next it's just Durant. about getting the right team around him, and I think eventually, you know, he will Can't be a part of a. Of I mean, a he doesn't already have. He Brian. doesn't already have like the the MVP with him and Jamal Murray. Well, I'm saying he's, but he's only a second year player. I'm saying Kevin Durant oh. had. Uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden, and they didn't win a title. You That's know, true. It took time, and then eventually he did get there. Anyway, he had think- to he had to join a seventy win team to to do yeah. it. I hate when people compare people to Durant because I think Durant's a joke in and of itself. Anyway, I and then to- anyone to Durant, but someone like him who in his second year is averaging, you know, could go off for fifty any night. He averages like twenty plus. He barely shoots. You know, he's he's you know a third off, 50 you know, any night. Devontae Graham can score 50 any night also, but it doesn't yeah, make a difference. Scoring 50 but no, it's night. not true. That is not a true statement. It is true. It is no, true. It's true, but he's highly no, inefficient. It's, it's a big difference. Nobody wants Devontae Graham because he shoots 40% from the field. That's right. But well, not even. I think he might be less than 40. Than 40. From three. Might be less a lot of times, may I chime in here, fellas? No. You watch basketball, right? Like, you actually watch the games? Cool. Great. So, Because I have this theory that most of the people out there talking about players, they don't actually watch the sport or the games that we're talking about, we, we never ask the why. So like this concept of first principles is something I'm thinking a lot more about. It's like, okay, Devontae could go for 55, so can Michael Porter Jr. They're the same player. That's not how it works. You have to ask why. And, and what assets or tools do these players have? So the reason there's a comparison to Durant is Michael Porter Jr. is incredibly athletic. He's quick. He could finish at the rim. He could. He has an incredible offensive game off the dribble and a catch and sh- catch and uh, spot up shooter, and he's long, so he's a mismatch anywhere he goes. Devonte six foot one, six foot two, so he's not a mismatch. So yeah, maybe he could catch fire. These guys are the best two hundred fifty players in the world, but that's not where the comparison is. The comparison is the tools in their tool belt and how they could use those to be successful. That doesn't and mean he's awesome, man. Three years in, I mean, really only two years in, and he no, didn't injury, to no injury history. I listen to he everything you said. He's got he tools. He's got tools in a tool belt. He's amazing. He's fantastic. You say he could score fifty any night. He's never even scored forty. He never even scored forty. I'm saying because because he's, he's never he's even scored th- forty. That's I mean, oh, I yeah. win. I win, and time will allow me to win. Michael Porter Jr. is a joke. He's a kaboom. He is a run-up because people like him, right? He's a run-up because people have invested in him. He isn't even he isn't even a legit he's like the third option on his own team. Right? Exactly. So, it is yes, what it is, man. He's a third option on his own team. That's I mean, to me, that's not uh, who you invest in. It's easy. And, and this I is my co host. This is what made our show so successful. That's right. Yeah, I, I think the fact he's a third option like that's the reason to invest in him because 
He is the third option on his team. He is coming off injury. And he just shot 54% from the field and 44% from three. That, that's historic numbers. It's like, that's it. That's the most efficient season ever for a swing, man. And it's his second year. So the people buying him are laughing right now. So I think he just saw his best. I think he would never have a season like this. And he had it in his second yeah. year. That's I incredible. Think he, I like, think he that, just saw the best you're ever going to get out of him. Well, yeah, that could that could potentially be true. But I think one day he's not going to be the third option and he's going to average 30. Because it's no. just... The, he's also can, got every team's third best defender on him. There's some truth to that, but he's a mismatch, Cage. The, the issue with Cage is he's 96.3% right, but when he sinks his feet into the ground on a guy he doesn't like, he, he will strangle him like a boa constrictor no matter what. You could you could douse him with logic, and he, he, he'll, he'll miss it. So, and guys, it's yeah. always on something where the, the alleged smart money is over the top on it, right? So that 3%, you'll have to give me this. It's always where there's to. it's always when there's some euphoria on potential. There's always this you know there's there's the, the Michael Porter Jr. love. I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a good player. He's a very good player. But the love that he gets and the undying devotion he gets from the crew of people investing in him, it's it's almost unnatural. It's unorganic. It's like the kaboom cabal. So that's where I dig my heels in. That's where I say, you know what? Bro, he's no one-eighth of the price of Luca. No his, his prices don't He's also one-eighth the player of Luca, And no one gives a shit about his prism. Is that a fact? Prism. I'm not so sure no, it is. No one gives a shit about his prism card. His his RPA is not one-eighth. It's probably probably less than one-eighth. But, I said the RPA is probably a like 15K no, card. No, it's, it's, it's actually – the discrepancy is higher with RPA. Yeah, I would that's say. what I figured. Probably you can get – the RPA probably because the Luca, I mean, there's only 99 of them. The you know, big money people want to get them, so I'm sure it's even worse in the RPA than it is in the Prism. But hey, yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, 39 Guys. points. If you want to invest in a guy who's 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 three years in the league, and best he's ever done is 39 points, third option on a team. Have at it, guys. Michael Porter Jesus is the way to go. He could potentially become something like Durant one day. So, well, so we started this episode. People are, looking, people are looking at like the 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 potential as the reason why they're getting in they're thinking that okay like you may be right 50 percent of the time he's not going to become what people think he's going to be but if they if they're right it's they're going to they're going to make 20 times on their money and um they've seen enough flashes where they kind of like think that it's that it, that it's gonna eventually eventually happen and last year was a very a very good season for him so we'll see i'm i'm still uh i'm bullish on him see i um, like michael borders I, th I think of chris bosh you know, a real, real good player. Like a real great player. You know, like, good. like a real good player. I think of like I'm a different type of player. I was I think of like Ray Allen, like a real good player, a winner, like a real good player with a great resume. You know what those two guys have in Is Chris Bosch a good player? Nobody gives you shit about their cards. That's true. That's true. But you're there's gonna be a run up and then there's they're not gonna give a shit. That's you're missing the point. That's what we maybe, were just talking about. Maybe is that maybe. all of these guys in this scenario, Jimmy Butler, Lillard, the guys that uh, Anthony mentioned, they all did have a run-up, and then, yes, they faded out into oblivion. They Michael Porter Jr. Has, Porter had has an opportunity for a run-up. Let's keep moving. Anthony, st we started this conversation like, what the fuck? And now we're going to end it. It's like, But this is what makes our show different than others. It's, we think of it as more of a radio show than like a traditional podcast. We hop on every single day, do an episode. Guys, if you're with us till the end, you've enjoyed the banter. More than likely, you, you're an admirer of Cage and Summertime Cards, and hopefully you put up with me. Guys, we My are having our NFTs. 
We love you guys. Michael Jr. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Head to lucastigers.com. So we're minting our NFTs. If you're interested, please head to lucastigers.com. Take a look. Uh, Don't overextend yourself. Don't spend money you don't have. But if you're a supporter of what we're doing and you want to kind of support us long term and be a part of it, lucastigers.com. We're very, very excited. And any final words, man? Um, I'd love to hear in, you know, three, five minutes or less, you know, kind of like your macro state of the union kind of what do you think is going to happen with the hobby the next three months kind of as we end 2021 and NFTs? Um, I think that the hobby is good. I think that the you know basketball season starting is going to be great. Um, it's right around the corner. We're going to have basketball football going at the same time. I think that um, I think that these coming auctions are going to be huge because um, like during the summer, they, it's kind of like a little bit of a lull. There's actually probably a lot of better opportunities to buy. But I think that everyone's going to be locked in on these auctions. You're going to see a lot of record prices probably coming in the next few months. Um, I personally, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Fanatics deal. I think that they're like long term, they're going to bring so much attention to the um, card hobby. Um, I'm particularly bullish for the high end stuff because I actually think the high end market is pretty small in terms of the amount of big buyers. And I think that's going to grow drastically. I think that that increased attention is going to bring a lot of the people to that. I still feel like when like certain high art, high end cards sell, I always know who bought it. And like, I think to an extent that kind of goes to show like that, the, that the high end market has some, some growing to do. And I'm excited to see, um, you know, what fanatics does. I think they will be very um, innovative and, and good with the, the marketing of cards and yeah. NFTs I think are, are here to stay. I think that, you know, they're way more collectible than the people on the outside looking in think and that the people really enjoy them and that there is a, a flipping aspect to it, similar to how when cards ran up, um, everybody, a lot of people were buying to flip. That is to an extent true, but there are also people that are buying to flip to buy an NFT that they really like. And I'm pretty bullish about uh, NFTs in the in the short term and long term as well. It just, just comes down to the, the humans and the, like what they want to buy and what they want to own. And I think sports cards, NFTs, it's just this new um, shift that's happening in, in collectibles market. That's what that's what people that's what people want. That's where they what that's what they want to spend. You know, when they have extra income, what are they going to go do? Some people are going to buy cards. There's now this whole sect of people who are going to buy um, NFTs. And I think that um, I don't see either one uh, really slowing down i love it love summertime it. cards on instagram guys great follow even better person uh reach out to him with any questions he's super super responsive puts out great content he does ig lives kind of impromptu so please keep those going we're big fans big supporters appreciate you joining us for the show okay Thank thanks you. for having me on guys this episode of lucas tigers and bronze was brought to you by hybrid grading approach Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now ah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, 
tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.